All right, guys. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thanks for being here today. I see several new faces. Welcome. Let's give you a shout out here. So glad you guys are here checking out Antioch. Thanks for coming. Hopefully you've already experienced the presence of God, the love of God. And I'm excited to go deeper in his word in just a few minutes here. A couple reminders or a, a couple other things I want to announce. So like Maggie said, if you missed the memo, bring, if you're new, bring a little connect card to the Next Steps uh, class right after the service. We'd love to meet you and give you a gift. And then second, as you mentioned that volunteer training, let me just add something. We're doing a volunteer training today. And we have about 40 or so, maybe 45 folks that consistently serve. And what we're hoping is that people can serve about two or three weeks out of a month, um, or every two or three weeks is better said. Uh, but with that many people, they have to serve a lot more. And so we need about 80 or so folks to consistently serve. And so I'm just expressing, hey, we need help. And all of you have something to offer. And so even if you're brand new to Antioch, if you even consider maybe coming back, then you can come to this training, get free lunch. And if you don't come back, I'm not going to hold against you. You can just maybe we'll, you know, schedule you a month out so you have time to consider if you're going to stick around. All right. I'm, I'm serious. Um, so come. It's free lunch. And it'll be an awesome opportunity to get to know a few, few people as well and hear more about how to serve. Uh, it's as simple as, you know, opening a door for folks and greeting them as they walk in. Or, of course, we need to help with kids. We've got a lot of kiddos there. Half of them are mine, but there's a lot. Uh, and uh, anyways, and the worship team, of course, and just serving throughout the week. So would love for you all to, to jump in and serve if you can. And then last thing, where are my college students at? College students, give me a shout. Where are you at? Woo! We got some college students back in town and a few new college students. Welcome back. Come on, let's give it up for those college students. Welcome back. Woohoo! Glad you are here. Any, any freshmen? Come on, just show your hand. Any freshmen? Let's go. I see a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I love it. Welcome back, guys, and welcome to town, freshmen. This is uh, specifically to our college students. Um, in two weekends from now, so Labor Day weekend, we are doing our college retreat. And um, it's, uh, you can literally sign up today. Uh, but our college retreat, we've done this off and on the last, last couple years, and it's just an amazing opportunity to really go deep quickly in relationship and friendship with other college students, but also a space to kind of pull back after the first two weeks of school, kind of regroup, and just encounter the Lord, and just get fresh vision of what does it look like as a college student to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, and that is a, a very important question to ponder and think about, but our hope here is that the college students that are a part of our midst, we learn uh, quickly at the early stages, freshman year, or, or wherever you're at right now is a great place to start to wholeheartedly pursue the Lord and give him everything. And so our college retreat is happening. You can sign up today at $75. And if you sign up today, college students, here's a little incentive. You can get, uh, a, a, and let's see, I don't know the exact number, but half of 75. What's half of 75? Wow, $37.50. You get $37.50 off of your registration. Half off. Uh, if you sign up today, we'll put you in a little drawing and you can win half off of that if you sign up today. And uh, what we're doing is we're staying here for part of it to do some worship time together, but also we've got a, uh, a huge Airbnb over near, near Branson that we're going to crash and spend time together, hopefully get some time on a lake. And actually, do you have the schedule slide up there? Look at this. So here's the schedule. Look, look what's also built into the schedule. The Razorback football game on Saturday is built into the schedule. So they play Cincinnati on the third, which if you follow college football, that's going to be a great game. And I'm excited about that. Go Razorbacks. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's go, Woo Pig. All right. 
So anyways, college students, we'd love to have you. That's a little snapshot of what we'll be doing, but you can sign up today. Go put that slide up one more time. Y'all can take a picture of that if you want to uh, that has the registration form on it, but we'd love to see you there. All right, y'all ready for a message this morning? All right, if you're ready, say I'm ready. All right. Well, we are starting a new six-week series that we are titling The Lord is Gracious. Look at your neighbor and say The Lord is Gracious. Look at your other neighbor with a smile and say, the Lord is gracious. All right, we are, um, this title is taken from a psalm, Psalm 145, and this is going to be our theme verse throughout this whole series, but uh, to introduce this theme verse each Sunday for the next six Sundays, we have the privilege of inviting up some of our amazing kids from our kids' ministry to read our theme verse. And today, we got my new friend Luke up here. What's up, Luke? Come on, buddy. I'm going to have you hop up here with me. So we got Luke here. How old are you, Luke? Nine. Nine. You guys remember when you were nine? I didn't do this when I was nine, so I'm proud of you, man. All right, so hold the mic close to your mouth and then read the verse for us. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The the Lord is good to all his tender mercies are over all his works. Poems 145, 8 through 9. Come on. Great job, buddy. Way to go. Come on, give it up for Luke. Way to go, bud. Great job, man. Great job. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. He is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Anybody besides me like that description of the Lord? Anybody? So, so good. Well, this description of the Lord is really what we're going to dive into over the next several weeks. And here's a couple hopes or goals through this series. One, why don't you leave that uh, verse up there just for a little bit. One is that we believe this. Goal number one is that we believe that this is who God is and what he's like. Number one. Another one is that we don't just know it or believe it, but we experience the Lord as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in mercy, and good to all. And that through diving into scripture and having space to process who God is, that God would unravel the false pictures and understandings of who we think he is. Because the reality is, if we're honest, not all of us in this room always believe that the Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in mercy. Sometimes we kind of believe that he's almost the opposite of those things. And even if we might be able to quote that verse and like it and agree with it, and I saw your faces as he read that and as we looked like, yeah, that's that's good news. But if we're honest, sometimes we can believe it in general, but when we have to personalize it to ourselves, sometimes for whatever reason, it's more difficult. But I am hopeful that throughout this series, we're really going to walk away with actually living as if we know that God really is gracious to us. And he is. And particularly, here's how we're going to break down this series of the next several weeks. He's not just gracious in general. He is gracious to you and to me in our most common struggles. Think of your common struggles. Think of your big struggles. In the midst of that struggle, the Lord is still gracious toward you. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how the Lord is gracious to us in our doubting. He's gracious to us in our fears. He is gracious to us in our stresses and anxieties. He is gracious to us 
in our pain. He is gracious to us in our insecurities. And this morning, we're going to talk about how he's even gracious to us in our sin. The Lord is what? He's gracious. But here's the deal. In order to believe this thing and experience these truths, we, we have to have the Lord to reveal himself as this to us. So I'm going to pray over us and just wanted you to agree, kind of open your heart in whatever way you want to, and just ask the Lord that he would reveal himself to you this morning in a fresh way. All right? So let's pray. Lord, we just quiet ourselves before you, and we give you any distractions in our minds and our hearts that are just floating around in there. Just give that to you right now. Lay it down at your feet. And Lord, I ask you that you would reveal yourself to us. Like Ephesians 1 says, Lord, we, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your son this morning. Open our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, to see you rightly this morning. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, guys. Well, um, let me start off by just asking this question. How important is it to know what God is really like? How important is it? And uh, I've done a lot of thinking about the answer to that question, a lot of processing this week, and here's my answer. It's very important <laughs> to know what God is like, all right? So A.W. Tozer, he's a guy that some of you might um, be familiar with. He's a theologian and author of the 19th century, pretty famous guy. And here's a quote from him. It'll be on the screen. He says it this way. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so what I also like to say is I'm not surprised and it's no wonder that the number one thing I believe the devil goes after in any of our lives is understanding what God's like. Or another way to say that he goes after the knowledge or understanding of God. I believe that's the number one thing the devil goes after. You can see it from Genesis uh, to Revelation. In Genesis in the garden, he's talking to Adam and Eve, and he says, did God really say? Which is not just questioning what God said, but he's questioning, is God trustworthy? Is what he says trustworthy? You see it in the wilderness with Jesus being tempted. You see the enemy twisting scripture to kind of get Jesus to not trust in the Lord. And misunderstand who he is. And then you see it in your life and my life every day. We have passing thoughts that go through our mind. We've got things we read or things that we see online or on Instagram that contradict the very nature of who God is. Now, there's many reasons why we struggle to believe the truth about God. Okay, here's a couple things. One, we just had bad teachings about what God's like. Or uh, maybe some of our upbringing or mistakes of our parents. Sometimes we put that on God. It could be bad experiences with church. Could be hardships or traumatic events in our life where we begin to question how could God let this happen? How could He be good? Or it could be, and I would say this is even more trending, but popular voices or cultural trends that sound nice but really distract us uh, from who God really is. And here's what happens, unfortunately, when we get it wrong, when we begin to believe lies about who God is. It leads to confusion, it leads to doubt, it leads to fear and insecurity. It leads us to chase and grasp for, for things that leave us empty and dry. It leads to offense and bitterness, a lack of purpose, and a lack of meaning in our life when we believe lies about who God is. But here's great news. God is committed to revealing himself to you. God is committed to us understanding what he's, what he's really like. And that is amazing great news. And here's what happens when we, I'll say it this way, just begin a little bit to 
understand who God is. Because here's the deal. For all of eternity, we're going to be understanding who God is. <laughs> we're going to be like growing in, oh my gosh, I didn't know how gracious you were. Oh my goodness, I didn't know how powerful you were. Oh my goodness, I didn't know how compassionate you were. But when we begin to believe the truth about who God is, here's what happens. We become secure. We become confident that we are loved by God and we are valued. We begin to stop chasing, at least as much, or grasping for things. We uh, have this thing in this experience called joy <laughs> and peace and contentment and purpose and meaning in life. Literally, the very thing that your soul, all of you, we're all in this together, me too, our soul is longing for those things. And I believe, and Scripture teaches that we won't experience these things, this fruit of the Holy Spirit, without having an understanding of the true picture and nature of what God is like. But when we begin to understand that, then we can begin to experience those types of things. It doesn't mean that when we understand who God is, all of our life is just perfect. <laughs> but in the midst of chaos and shaking and craziness and hard circumstances, like our anchor is the revelation of who God is. What is he really like? Does he still love me? Is he still with me? Is he still fighting for me? And when we believe the truth of those things, then he does that stuff in our hearts. So what is he like? He's gracious. Again, say it again. Say the Lord is gracious. He's gracious. Now, what I'm going to do over these next several weeks, I'm going to really emphasize the graciousness of the Lord. But here's what I want to just comment, a little disclaimer. I'm not ignoring other aspects of who God is. I'm just going to emphasize for the next few weeks, because the Lord's really brought this on my heart. Uh, really, over the summer, I've been thinking a lot about this. So it doesn't ignore the aspects of God as, uh, what else is God? He's also powerful. He's also very holy. <laughs> he is pure. He is glorious and radiant. Okay? He hates evil. And he loves righteousness. All of these things are true about God. Nod your head if you believe even a little bit of that. All these things are so good and so true. But I want to just talk about and emphasize his graciousness for a little bit because I think that um, it is a common struggle, and we don't want to put it in these words, so I'm going to put it into words for you, but it's a common struggle for us, especially as we consider our own brokenness, to really believe that God's gracious towards us. So what does it mean to be gracious? Here's a slide that has a definition on it. Let me give you the English definition first. You can take a picture of it if you want. But a way to define uh, grace or graciousness is it's courteous, it's kind, and it's pleasant. But let me give you some deep theological words here. So in the Hebrew, who thinks they can pronounce that word there? When you see that K-H, you got to do like that clearing of the throat thing. Oh, gosh. That was grosser than I was imagining it going to be. <laughs> I thought I was just going to be the one hawking a loogie up here. Anyway, so it's Hanun, which is only, look at that definition. This is, really, this is really cool. Only used as an attribute of God, as hearing the cry of the troubled person in need. Okay, this is so cool. Let me, I, I have a couple parentheses there. So that troubled person would be someone that's like frustrated or worried. And in need, specifically that type of need means they're in debt or they're in the hole, or another way to describe it is like they have, they have gotten themselves in some trouble. The person themselves that's troubled has gotten themselves in the hole. But here's what God's graciousness means. Even when we get ourselves ourself in the hole, he's listening and he's reaching for us because he's so gracious. Woo, it's good news. So good news. He's patient. He's not quick to snap at us. He's not waiting for us to mess up so he can correct us. He's not distant and disinterested in our lives. He's not frowning at you. I'm going to say that a couple more times. He's not frowning at you when he thinks about you. 
who's ready to help us in our troubles, in our struggles. Now, let me just give you a little uh, imperfect but funny example of this morning, especially in light of that definition of when we get ourselves in our own messes, the Lord is gracious and he is compassionate. So here we go, uh, 6 o'clock this morning, or about 6 o'clock this morning, all right? So a fresh sermon illustration for you, all right? So our little girl, Ava, who's going to turn 2 in October, uh, she gets up early and she's cuddling with mom and... uh, I'm in the living room trying to spend a peaceful time with Jesus, you know, because I got to prepare myself for church, you know, uh, and I <laughs> all of a sudden I hear this wailing from our daughter, which if you're a parent, you 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 can discern different cries. There's the cry that says, I'm not I'm fine. I just want attention. <laughs> OK, there's the cry of like, man, somebody did something bad to me and I'm offended. And then there's the cry where it's like a newborn baby leaving the, the sanctuary right now. Love you, Madeline. Uh, <laughs> there's the, but then there's the cry of something is really wrong, and they're hurt. And so that's what I heard this morning. They're kind of sucking in the breath. <gasps> just screaming. And so I, like, I get up, and I rush over there. I'm like, what is going on? And Beth describes that what Ava decided to do while she was kind of cuddling is lift her head up and then slam it down on Beth's ch- head. Are you okay? I'm talking about Ava, but you okay? All right. She, okay, so I, we're, not, we're not in her brain. We don't understand fully what's going on, but she decided that would be, I guess, a good idea. Boom! Then she wails, okay? But what, this, as an imperfect father, here is my response. Even though she got herself in her own mess, I hop up, and I kind of run over there, and I, I hold her and comfort her and pray for her. Are you okay? I love you. You okay? You okay? And I also distract her. And I also, also offer to get her what's called a boo-boo buddy. Uh, parents might know what that is, but it's an ice pack. But it sounds better, boo-boo buddy. All right. <laughs> a buddy for your boo-boo. <laughs> all right. There, now you got it. All right. All right. Okay. And she you know, calms down and, and um, starts to feel fine. But I just... I am an imperfect dad. Thankfully, I respond that way sometimes. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> um, but when you get yourself in trouble, when you bang your head against, hopefully not Beth's head, but as you bang your head against <laughs> your own poor decisions in life, what, how do you think God really responds to you? Is he quick to say, what are you doing? I can't believe you would do that. Don't do that again. Get with it. Get your own boo-boo, buddy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's hard to say that word and pretend to be mad. But I do, I want you to think about that for a second. Or even when you get yourself in your own mess, can you, can you for a second imagine the Lord saying, I, come here. I still love you. It's okay. I'm here to help you. I want you to get out of this mess. You guys, if you take a minute to really believe that, it does something to your soul. It makes your heart come alive. <laughs> it makes you feel like, oh my gosh, God could really be good. And it changes us. So God, and, and I just want to submit to you that that is true. He is so gracious to you. He knows your name. He knows your life story. He knows your feelings, your thoughts, and your struggles. And yet he cares so deeply and comes to you. Not first to harshly correct you is there correction in the process 
am I going to maybe suggest to Ava that she doesn't do that again? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but he's so gracious. He's a good, good father. And if we ever doubt if this stuff is true about our God, then the Bible directs us in how we can figure out if what we think about God is true. You ready? The answer is, how do we know if it's true, like this thing about God, that thing? You look at the life of Jesus. Jesus is our answer. If you want to know, is that true about God? Then look at Jesus. Here's a couple descriptions of Jesus that help me understand, like, okay, I can look at him if I'm wondering what God is like. Okay, John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh, says a few verses later. So Jesus, perfect representation of the Father. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then my favorite of the three I'm mentioning here, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, a little bit longer passage, but don't miss what this says about Jesus. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And here it is, verse 3, Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Then look at that again. Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of the nature of God. So when we were wondering what God is like, we can look at the life of Jesus and we can see. You know, you look at Jesus. We, many of us read through the Gospels this summer. And you, will, you can see that he's many things, but he's gracious. He is compassionate. Even in the epistles, that, so the kind of the letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote a lot of them, Peter wrote a few. You'll see this phrase over and over again. It's so interesting. It just stood out to me it, it, at the beginning of some of those letters. And at the very end, it says, it's kind of like talking to these churches. And he's saying, hey, I want you to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus. He could have said, I want you to grow in the power of the Lord Jesus. I want you to grow in the glory. I want you to grow in whatever other aspect of God, the holiness of Jesus. But he's saying specifically, I want you to grow in the grace of Jesus because one of his main attributes that you'll see throughout the Gospels is that the Lord is gracious. And also, Jesus is compassionate. In the Gospels, multiple times it uses the word compassion to describe what Jesus is expressing or feeling right before he does a miracle, right before he does something. And there's this, I almost called this series The Compassion of Jesus, um, but I decided to take it from Psalm 145. But here's, here's a slide that gives you a couple insights into, like there's a verse in the, new, in the Gospels that says, Jesus felt compassion or was compassionate, and then it led to something else, okay? So look at a couple of these things. Feel free to take a picture of this if you want to. But here's a couple of things that the compassion of Jesus led to. Matthew 9, let me just start with this one. A deep feeling and empathy. In Matthew 9, I think that reference is right before he's looking at this crowd of people, and it says he was moved with compassion. I also think of in John, when after Lazarus had died and Mary's interacting with him, Jesus weeps. Uh, let me just pause for a second. God is not emotionless. I need you to hear this because um, some have swung so far because I've had bad experiences with what some would say emotionalism. We swing so far to the other side and say God has no emotions and therefore I shouldn't be that emotional and it's more spiritual if I'm more stiff, <laughs> which is just wrong. All right, no one likes hanging out with stiff people. Anyways, so... Like, you don't want to swing, but we do need to know that literally we are made in God's image. If we have emotion, we don't want to do it backwards, but God put his image, his nature in us. Emotions didn't, wasn't just man's design. 
Okay, and so therefore when we look at Jesus and you look throughout the Gospels, you see him operating in emotion. Now, now was emotion leading his life? No, no, he was listening to the Father and doing what the Father said to do. He was speaking what the Father said to speak. But I, I think some of us need to know that the Lord being compassionate to you also means that he feels for you. There is emotion in his heart for you. There's empathy in his heart for you and your struggles. Okay, what else does the compassion lead to? It leads to healing of sicknesses and diseases. His compassion leads to provision of needs. His compassion leads to teaching truth, which sometimes, oftentimes, involves correcting something that is not true in our minds and hearts or lives. It, his compassion leads to the deliverance from oppression, specifically of demonic oppression. And his compassion leads to comfort and pain. So look at all that, especially I just, there's a couple of these that I'm like, well, <laughs> I would have put like the power of Jesus leads to healing and s- of sickness. The power of Jesus delivers us from demonic oppression. But in scripture, multiple times before these things happen, look up those verses. It says he was moved with compassion and then did blank, delivered somebody from a demon. He was moved with compassion and healed this person of sickness. The compassion of Jesus leads to action, and all of those things, if you really look at it, like in any given day, week, month, or season of your life, you need one of those things. And the Lord is compassionate to you and wants to provide these things for you. Now here's how I want to just kind of narrow in kind of the, the back half of my message here. So I'm not almost done. I'm about halfway done. And I want to specifically talk, we talked about the compassion of Jesus, talked about the grace of God, but specifically I want to focus in on a particular thing, and I want to talk about how the Lord is gracious even in our sin, all right? I just want you to think about it for a second, um, and just answer the simple question. Has anybody in this room besides me sinned? <laughs> all right, 60% of you. Awesome. <laughs> So the other 40, uh, just lay hands on me and tell me what you do. Now, actually, I don't want to be perfect. <laughs> Jesus says, just answer my question next time. All right. <laughs> the Lord is gracious in our sin. <laughs> and so I want to start with the big one on purpose, okay? So because I'm going to talk, like next week, I'm talking about the Lord is gracious in our doubting. Okay? All of us have doubts, even pastors. And leaders, and worship leaders, all right? Okay, but I want to specifically start with the big one. I want to talk about sin, because if you can believe the Lord is gracious to your sin, it's going to also help you believe that he's gracious to you in your doubts, and your fears, and your pain. Now, if we're honest, it's hard to believe that the Lord is gracious and gentle towards us in the way he handles our sin. We tend to think, as I've already mentioned, that he's mainly angry, upset, and frustrated with us, and overall disappointed when we keep messing up still waiting for us to get it together. Now, let me add, this is often subconscious. Because I don't think any of you, if I were to ask you, you know, hey, if you sin, what's God? And you probably wouldn't say all those words I just mentioned, but, like, we can say the Lord is gracious and he's forgiven, he's merciful, but the question is, what is our actual experience of God when we sin? What do we feel on the inside? Hey, when God speaks to you, what is his tone like? Does it sound frustrated? Kind of getting you back together? Or is there grace in it? So they're good questions. We're all learning to hear the voice of God. We're learning about who God is. But the Lord is gracious. And unknowingly, here's a couple common mistakes that we can make if subconsciously we believe uh, a false truth about God's graciousness, even specifically in our sin. Here's number one. 
a, a common mistake we can make is we can agree with that voice or feeling on the inside of criticism, and we become our worst self-critic. It's really a self-condemning voice that you hear on the inside that sounds like your voice. You're kind of like, what, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Come on. And especially if you follow Jesus for a while, you can, a similar way that it might sound is, man, I should know better by now to not do this or not think this or not act this way or not choose this. And that is not a great landing point if we're trying to understand the graciousness of Jesus. Another kind of common uh, mistake in our landing point is we can convince ourselves that our sin struggle is not that bad. Okay, we can get super defensive if someone brings it up or even if we think someone's about to bring it up. <laughs> and we can try to like shoot people down like, no, no, leave me alone. You know, here's an example. Like if you struggle with being um, consistently negative or complaining, having a little bit of bitterness and, and anger, when something doesn't go your way or you see something wrong, you speak negatively and complaining about it, then we begin to justify it by saying like, hey, I'm just, I'm just trying to be real and honest. <laughs> or even worse, well, Jesus flipped over tables, so I could be mad too. <laughs> now listen, the Lord is gracious if this is a struggle of yours, but, you know, when we're struggling with something, like, just ask a few people around you because other people can help you see if something is a problem. Now, I give that example, not talking about anybody in this church, I was talking about the people in the other church down the street, but, because I know it wouldn't be you guys. <laughs> and here's, here's a third, maybe, bad landing point. It wasn't originally in my notes, but I was thinking about it this morning, and I wanted to add it. A third kind of bad landing point if we're misunderstanding the graciousness of the Lord in our sin is kind of a landing point of like repentance is not really necessary. I don't really need to change. God's going to forgive me anyways. He's so gracious. I don't really need to change anything in my life. And similarly, a thought is like there's no real consequences for sin because Jesus took all my consequence on the cross. Now there are partial truths in some of the things I just said such as Jesus taking your penalty on the cross. Absolutely. But that would be a, a, the grace of God in Titus 2 says that it teaches us to turn or say no to sin. We'll look at an example in just a minute of John chapter 8 when you see Jesus interacting with someone in the midst of sin and he didn't leave that person in their sin, but gave them an opportunity to get out. And so, as we understand the grace of God, we've got to see maybe a little bit more of the full picture. If I make a big mistake and I, uh, whatever I might do, it's going to affect the people close to me. And then in a sense, that's a consequence. I don't like it when my choices lead to my wife feeling hurt or my children feeling hurt. If I were to choose major moral, moral failure, all of you would be very hurt. And I don't want to do that. That's in a sense a consequence or repercussions of my sin. And so understanding the grace of God actually leads us into a place where I know I'm forgiven, but I also have the power to move forward and change and to leave the sin behind. So hopefully that makes sense. All these things stem from a misunderstanding of the grace of God toward us. And uh, praise the Lord, God is not yelling at us and condemning us when we sin. Anybody thankful for that? At the same time, his grace gives us a way out of being stuck in our sin. And he wants us to know there's a way out. And it's actually better <laughs> to be out. So all that being said, I want to see if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to look at a passage on the screen together. And I'm simply going to read this story and kind of take it a little bit slow. And I think the, the point is simple, but all I want you to see here is I want you to see how Jesus interacts with and how he responds in the midst of someone's sin. 
Okay, because I love that this is like scripture helps us understand what God is like. And when we put ourselves in, in the shoes of these people in scripture, we can also receive these different elements and aspects in nature of who God is. So we're in John chapter 8, towards the very, very beginning. And this is uh, commonly referred to as the woman caught in adultery. Verse 1 says this, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now, look at verse 6. This is just interesting to note. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. But then Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go, and from now on, sin no more. This is such a powerful story. Come on. Amen. Jesus is interacting with this woman in the, uh, caught in sin. Now, again, the Pharisees and the rulers are throwing this lady before him, and mainly not because they're concerned about this woman and the consequences of her, but they're trying to trap Jesus. Jesus could have said something that agreed with the law, and it, in a sense, maybe would have made the Pharisees happy. <laughs> he could have said, like, no, no, we're not going to stone her, okay, which would have made the Pharisees mad. But <laughs> with Jesus, there's... There's like this way and that way. There's the left. There's the right. There's this and there's that. There's this view and that view. And then there's the Jesus way. <laughs> and his way is always better. He doesn't say a thing. And he just kneels down and writes in the ground. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people speculate about what Jesus was writing in the ground. Some say he was probably writing maybe the Ten Commandments. Okay, just kind of helping people see like, hey, we've all sinned. Maybe he was writing Psalm 145, 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious, compassionate. But through the centuries, all these theologians and scholars have talked about it, wrestled it through, and they've kind of come to an agreement of what we, they feel like he said, you know? You want to know what it is? They have no idea, actually. <laughs> That's their agreement. We don't know. So neither do I. And I love it. I love that, like, if that was the main point, it'd be in there. But I think the mystery helps us because the point is not what he's writing in the sand. The point is, Jesus, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And this is exactly right. In the midst of our mess and our sin, and what you'll see him do with this lady is he's just trying to get her to look at him. Through this whole situation, she's got all these accusers around. She can hear or see the stones, you know, kind of just people are just ready, waiting. She's wondering what's going to be said. But the whole time, Jesus is just like, just wants her to look at him. And that's what happens at the very end. Now, here is what I believe the Lord primarily was trying to do, and I want you to hear this also for yourself. In the midst of our sin, one of his primary interests is to lift condemnation and shame. 
So here's what condemnation does. There's a slide that I want you to see and take a picture if you want. Here's what condemnation, those around her were accusing her and condemning her. Here's what condemnation leads. It blinds us. It causes shame. And here's what shame does. It leads to hiding, to covering up, to rejection of ourself, self-hatred even, giving up, punishing ourself, becoming depressed and hopeless. That's what condemnation and shame does to us. It does not work in the long haul if you want to be a healthy person or a healthy follower of Jesus. It does not help in the long haul if you want to overcome certain sin struggles. Now listen, we can condemn ourselves and have shame in our lives from things that happen or that we've chosen days ago, months ago, or even years ago. And I just believe that this morning, Jesus wants to remove condemnation and shame from any of us that might be feeling it. But here's what happens. That's what shame and condemnation does. But here's what happens when we come to Jesus and when we look at him and we see grace in his eyes as he looks at us. Here's what happens. There's, there's hope. There's freedom. There's, there's a lightness in us when we realize that he's not disgusted. He's not offended. He's not primarily angry and, and he does not condemn us. His graciousness does not lead to shame. This is amazing news. I just want to pause for a few more minutes. This is amazing news. When we blow it, the Lord, and what you're seeing in Jesus, he does not pick up a stone as well. In a sense, the silence of him not immediately answering is even a place where we can find hope too. When we sin, there's so many voices, your own voice, other people's voice, other things you've heard, but like, the Lord doesn't talk immediately. He's just, he's just wanting us to, like, look up at him. But what's so cool about this story is he does not leave this woman in her sin. This amazing and powerful moment of receiving the grace of Jesus somehow causes a response in her to not want to go back, but to run forward. It seems really likely that this woman, we don't know exactly who she is, but began to follow Jesus and began to live a different lifestyle. And the same thing is true for us when we lock eyes with the grace and mercy and compassion of Jesus in the midst of our sin. What it causes us to do is want to look at that and follow that face more than the sin that's tempting us around us. But until we experience and believe that he is gracious and compassionate and looking at us with eyes of tender mercy, then we don't know where else to look and we try to go after things that actually don't help us overcome our struggles. So we need to lock eyes with Jesus. And let me sh show you one last thing, and then I'm going to share a story with you. Band, go ahead and come on up. I want you to look at verse 9 again. The end of verse 9. Let me just read all of 9. It says, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And then it says this. Don't miss this phrase. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So this woman's moment of breakthrough and freedom started with a one-on-one, -on -one, please don't miss this, face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. In that encounter with Jesus, there is a direct facing of her sin. There was no beating around the bush. There was no pretending like nothing happened. They faced it, but they faced, like the woman faced it, but she faced it with Jesus. They faced it together. So for us, I believe this is a, a crucial key 
and hel helping us as well in the midst of our sin. We need direct, face-to-face -face con confession and acknowledgement of our sin and our need for help before Jesus himself. Not just through another person, not just in general, but you, Jesus, directly talking about and bringing up the thing that you know is sin in our life. When we do this <laughs> and bring it straight to him, it leads to good fruit. If we hide it, pretend it doesn't exist, or unwilling to face the hard realities of our sin, then nothing usually changes. But when we bring it all out to the open to him, then things can change. But again, what, is the what are you seeing on Jesus' face when we do that is a game changer. Are you seeing a frown? Are you seeing him disappointed? Are you seeing him be gracious to you? He, he knows. He understands why you're there. He, he knows exactly why you chose that. He knows exactly why you're struggling with it. He, he understands. That nothing is hidden from him. And he is gracious and he's beckoning you to himself. But what sh our shame does when we don't believe the truth of his graciousness, it causes us not to lift our head to Jesus. It causes us to keep our head down. I believe the Lord wants to just, just lift some heads this one. Look at his eyes. He is merciful. He is loving. He'll forgive you. And this whole story and this whole example just kind of reminds me of a pretty significant part of my story uh, where I had to bring some real bad junk and sin before the Lord. And I just want to be a little vulnerable with you and just share some of that. But I, I hope that it leads to hope in this room. So <laughs> I, I grew up going to church. Some of you have heard my testimony before, but I, doesn't, I really did not follow Jesus. Um, I got saved at 17 as a junior in high school, about halfway through junior year of high school. And I was familiar with God, but I, had, I just had no idea that Jesus really died for me. And he began to really just help me understand what he's like. He, I began to read the Bible. I began to get around people that helped me understand what God is like. But prior to that time, probably around 12-ish, by junior high age, I was introduced to pornography. And not, let me not just limit it to that, but I was introduced and came to the realization uh, of just ways that I could feed lust. And very quickly, um, I got trapped in bondage to all things related to lust. So whether it's pornography, masturbation, just perversion, weird thinking, but shame, trying to hide it, yet wanting more. Just a ball of absolute mess. And then after getting saved, I started to realize that, okay, Jesus is not for <laughs> this sin area in my life, but I didn't really face it head on at first. I started making a few, I guess I could say changes, but really there are a few compromises. Well, if I don't do that, can I do this? You know, and it was a wrestle for several months. But there was this one moment where I remember uh, summer right before my senior year of high school, I was already talking to God about it for months and just wanting some breakthrough, yet I know I still wanted the sin. And I just remember feeling tempted again and being in my room alone, looking up in the ceiling. And I just got so desperate. I, like, yelled at God. And I said, God, this is so difficult. I don't know how to overcome. How the heck do I do this? I want to honor you in this area, but I don't know how. Help. And I... I think it was loud. I'm surprised that my family didn't hear me screaming, but I'm kind of glad they didn't. Um, and I, you know, in that moment, there was no angel that appeared in my room. 
I didn't hear anything audible. The walls didn't start shaking. <laughs> so that would have been awesome part of my testimony, but it wasn't part of my testimony. <laughs> but there, there was this breaking inside of me, and it was, I think, for the first time, like I legitimately brought it all out to the light with the emotion that came with the struggle. And I just put it before Jesus. I'm like, you got to help me. You got to help me. I, I need you. And I think in that moment, again, I don't know exactly what happened, but there was a breaking on the inside, and there was a realization that the Lord still accepted me, even though I brought it all up to the light. He still loved me. He wasn't, he wasn't rejecting me. He wasn't condemning me. I was still his son. He loved me. Days, weeks, and even a few months went by, and without really planning it, <laughs> I just kept being learned. I guess maybe I kept being real with God. I kept giving him my heart and my emotion. I kept just, like in a sense, looking at him. A few weeks, months go by, and I was like, wait, wait a minute. I'm not doing that lust thing anymore. Yes! <laughs> you know, I, I don't know exactly what I said in the moment. I was like, what? I'm, I'm less tempted for sure than I've ever been in my life ever. But, and I think it was something connected to just receiving the grace and mercy of God and being drawn to that face and those eyes of grace and mercy that kept me saying, I want more of that, and I want less of sin. So that was 17 years ago. In the past 17 years, I have been tempted to choose it again, but praise the Lord, because of his grace and mercy, I haven't chosen it again. And what this was is just an example of like receiving his mercy and the power of his grace that actually leads us out of the sin that we, in a sense, if we're all honest, we, we probably do want to get out. I remember another moment at this retreat in high school. It was called the Encounter God Weekend where someone was preaching about the cross. And I remember at the very end of that message, was they had literally a literal cross just to kind of help us symbolize. And I just bring in all my stuff again, the foot of the cross. I just had a moment with the Lord, just, just weeping. <laughs> undone by two things. Undone by, wow, I have sinned a lot against you, but also overwhelmed by his mercy that he was still willing to give me even though I have sinned against him. And it reminded me of that verse that says, those that are forgiven much love much. <laughs> and in this this is how I'm going to kind of wrap it up, is I want us to figure out what do we need to bring to Jesus, and I want us to see his eyes of grace over us. All of us have sin. All of us have junk. All of us have things we're not proud of, okay? And no one, just so you know, no one's going to need to shout anything out, <laughs> okay? This is really, it's, you need a direct face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord. Now, does it help to confess with trusted people, receive prayer, see the love and the grace of Jesus in someone else's eyes? Yes, that is absolutely tremendously helpful. That was part of my journey as well of walking in more and more victory and breakthrough. But this morning, I just want us to receive the grace of God. He's not angry at you because of your sin. He loves you and he's gracious, but, but there's something about bringing it directly to him that leads to our freedom. So let's stand. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be able to respond to the Lord. So the response is hopefully pretty simple. Um, and I also want to encourage you, though, you know, there's a lot of people here in the room. You're, you're always welcome anytime we're worshiping or talking to God to, like, spread out or come to the front or go to the back, whatever you need to do just to feel like you can be 
connecting with God. But really, my encouragement is let's come to him and let's bring whatever we need to bring directly to him. But specifically, I want you to see the love, the mercy, the grace of God, that he's not upset with you, he's not disappointed with you, but he is gracious to you. And somehow, someway, if you lock into that grace, it's going to actually help you walk out of whatever struggle you're in this morning. And if there's anyone in this room, so that's kind of for the majority of us, if there's anybody in this room where you know you've never, ever come to Jesus for anything, you've heard about him, you have know that he's done something on the cross and he rose from the dead, and you've never come and said, Lord, I want to give you my life, I want to follow you, then this would be an amazing opportunity for you to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I give you my life. I give you myself. I want to experience your love, your mercy. I've never experienced anything like that from any human on the planet, but I want to experience your love and your mercy. He will accept you, and he'll love you. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to respond in worship. So Lord, we just thank you so much for your presence this morning. We thank you so much for what you're doing in this room. We thank you so much that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and great in mercy. And Lord, I pray over every one of us in this room, whatever we need to bring directly to you and to your light, Lord, would you give us the grace to do it. And Father, as we imagine bringing these things before you, God, I ask that you reveal yourself to us in a real way, in a true way, that you are merciful, that you are gracious. There is compassion on your face this morning. And Lord, for anybody in this room that has not given their heart to you, Lord, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Today will be the day where they take a step forward in faith and say, I belong to Jesus now. I'm giving my life to him. So Lord, I just pray, Spirit of God, have your way in this room as we respond to you. In Jesus' name.